From Gimlet, this is Reply All. I'm Alex Goldman. And I'm PJ Vogt. Welcome once again to Yes, Yes, No, the segment on the show where our boss, Alex Bloomberg, comes to us with something from the internet that he doesn't understand in the hopes that we explain it to him. Hey, Alex. Hello. So I have what I have is a tweet. Um, and it is a tweet from a Twitter user named Casey Johnston. And her tweet says this. It says, Area 51, but for going to Brett Stevens' house and calling him a bed bug. Okay. I'm 100% on this one. I'm 100% on this one. Uh, Does any part of it make sense to you? Well, yes. So I know about the Brett Stevens bed bug thing. How much do you know about Brett Stevens and bed bugs? I know that Brett Stevens is a conservative opinion writer for the New York Times. Yes. And that he writes um, he writes things that a lot of people get really annoyed about. Yeah, he's written about like the Arab, the Arab mind, mind and what's wrong with it. Right. Um, he thinks climate change is overhyped. He thinks that the epidemic of campus sexual assault is an imaginary problem. Um, he's like, yeah, if this were really happening, women would just not go to co-ed colleges, which is a belief that somebody can have. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I remember, I know that he got in a fight with somebody and somehow there was a bed bug involved. <laughs> the term bed bug. <laughs> oh, this makes, I'm glad. I was like scared for a minute. I wouldn't get to tell you about this. This, I'm gl- right. this is good. Okay. So you, fill me in. So yeah. yeah, you're totally right about Brett Stevens. So in August, the institution for which he works, the New York Times, got a bed bug infestation. Like actual bed bugs. <laughs> We're in the building. Okay. Which people found very this is funny. Separate. Separate. This separate. Is, this is a B plot. Yeah, B plot. There okay. were bed bugs. Okay. And people found it funny because bed bugs are super gross and the New York Times is super fancy. And the idea of like, you know, these dignified, elegant journalists like scratching at their like three piece suits to get the bed bugs out, like people just enjoyed it for a day. Side note, we had bed bugs once. Nightmare. You you had them in your house. We had them in our house. You had to like take everything, wrap it in plastic, like even when you try to fumigate them, they just run up into the walls. And so they're just like, they're they're crafty. Yeah, I moved to New York and my friend was like, you can just take my furniture. And I was like, cool, why does your box spring have knife cuts in it? He was like, I thought I had bed bugs, but I didn't. Uh-huh. He yeah. did. <laughs> oh, no. I moved to New York and immediately had to give away everything I owned, like some weird monk. <laughs> so the New York Times got bed bugs. <laughs> and then this professor named Dave Karp, who's just like associate professor at George Washington University, not somebody with like a big following online or whatever. Associate professor Dave Karp. Associate it. professor Dave Karp wanders onto Twitter. He sees everybody making jokes. He knows that bed bugs are funny and that people don't like Brett Stevens. And he tweets, the bed bugs are a metaphor. The bed bugs are Brett Stevens. Right. That's his whole thing. And at the time he had like, like 6,000 followers. Nine of them thought it was funny enough to favorite it. Right. It's like so a you pretty got nine favorites. Yeah, it's one of those like everyone's everyone's like shooting. I'll I'll, I'll do it. I've that. done that. You're like this will be good, and then you do it, and you're just like, eh, yeah, not good. So it's fine. So when you mention someone on Twitter, uh-huh. you can at them, and then they see it, and it's like a weird thing to do if you're going to insult them. And if you want to be polite, you just say their name and you don't at them. There's no reason for them to see it. Yes. Uh, it's sort of like the that's the, Twitter etiquette. That's Twitter etiquette. If you're just like if you just if you want to be polite, you don't at them. Generally, if you want to tell a joke about Brett Stevens to your friends, you say Brett Stevens' name and you don't at him. So you don't g- arouse his eye. You're ire. not trying to like start like you're some sort like, of Twitter battle. You're, you're just talking like trying to your to, pals. You're just like trying to talk to your pals about like, gosh, Brett, Brett Stevens did this other did this other thing that I found annoying. And those are like the rules by which we're allowed to have a society. Right. <laughs> <And> everyone, <laughs> everyone follows his rules. <laughs> 
And it's considered breaking those rules. It's considered somewhat gauche if you go out of your way to search your own name in quotes on Twitter to see what people who are not trying to talk to you are saying about you. Uh huh. The problem is if somebody says something to you and you name search, mm-hmm. if you're going to start a fight over it, the thing has to be really bad because the first thing you're doing is admitting that you name search. It's like yes. when I was doing my out of control vanity ritual, right? I found this thing. <laughs> And like the fact and it that it hurt my feelings. Yeah. But everyone's <laughs> just gonna look at the fact that you name search. They're not gonna look right, at the thing that got said. Yes. Okay, gotcha. So Brad Stevens, I, I can't prove that he name searched, but he's not added in this tweet and he sees it. He sees the tweet. And then he sends an email to Professor Carp and Professor Carp's boss, the provost of George Washington University, and says, uh, um, Dear Dr. Carp, someone just pointed out a tweet you wrote about me calling me a bed bug. I'm often amazed about the things supposedly decent people are prepared to say about other people, people they've never met, on Twitter. I think you've set a new standard. First of all, Alex Bloomberg, you've been on Twitter, right? <laughs> that is, I've, I I mean, I feel like you can, like, every timeline refresh, there's, like, something worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would welcome the opportunity for you to come to my home, meet my wife and kids, talk to us for a few minutes, and then call me a bedbug to my face. <laughs> Which, like, sure. (laughs) There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Yeah, this is a really, I'm really enjoying the dramatic reading. Yeah. You know what's funny is that he probably wrote that email with the same feeling that Professor Carp wrote the tweet, which is like, ha I got him. Got him. Yeah, and I think this is actually sort of Brett Stevens' MO. Like a while back, there was this story where some young journalist wrote Brett Stevens a rude email. But the way Stevens responded was to say, you know, basically, I have a lot of friends in this town. Like, if you want to apply for a job, if you want to try to get some sort of journalism award, like, you should be careful. Hmm. But this time when Brett Stevens does this, the professor takes the email and posts it to Twitter. Oh, he screenshots the email? Yeah. Got which it. gets, the original tweet had nine favorites. After this goes down, the original tweet gets 4.8 thousand <laughs> retweets. <laughs> so then Brett Stevens has like a very emotional announcement that he's leaving Twitter forever because the discourse is too toxic. And then he pops up the next morning on television. Like he goes on MSNBC to talk about this Twitter fight. Uh huh. So I want to show you this. Like nine o'clock in the morning, serious newsman on TV in a suit and tie, soberly talking about how somebody called him a bed bug. Brett, I have to ask you, because uh, there's a lot of buzz about this. You deactivated your Twitter account after a controversy that involved someone calling you a name. Would you like to comment on that? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to be careful with my words okay. because I know these are going to be uh, examined carefully. So um, let me just skip ahead a little bit. So I wrote him a personal email. I didn't go to Twitter. I wrote him a, a, a personal email, which I think was, was, was very uh, uh, civil, 
saying that I didn't appreciate it, that I would welcome him to come to my home in New York, meet, uh, meet with my family, and see if he would call me a bedbug to uh, my face. Because a lot of the things people say on social media aren't the things they're really prepared to say in one-on-one -on -one interactions. I also copied his provost uh, on the note. People are uh, upset about this. I want to be clear. I had no intention whatsoever to get him in any kind of professional trouble. But it is the case at the New York Times and other institutions that uh, people should be aware, managers should be aware of the way in which their people, their professors or journalists, uh, interact with the rest of the world. That's certainly the case. I wasn't trying to get him in any, any trouble, but I just wanted his manager to be aware of what he was doing. <laughs> also, just like these are arguments that were made when Professor Karp went on NPR to give a counter interview to Brett Stevenson's <laughs> interview about the tweet. Can I just play you yeah, a short yeah, clip of that? Please. Support for NPR and the following message come from Vigit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vigit yeah, yeah, yeah. is a digital product mm -hmm. agency that partners with businesses to propel growth, we'll this reduce costs, yeah, yeah. and diversify revenue through innovation. Learn how Vigit can help also, your business. What is company company terrible Vigit? name? No, it's it's Vigit with a G. <laughs> a little close. This next story may offer a little... I'm, I'm just going to skip to the part where the professor explains exactly why he thinks Stephen's email was messed up. The key here, again, is him deciding to CC my provost, which he discussed on MSNBC, and he said that he wasn't trying to get me in trouble. He just wanted my bosses to know what I was saying. CCing the provost means that he's not actually inviting me over to his house. He's not actually calling for civility. He is trying to use his station in life to make clear to me at a lower station in life that I'm not supposed to make jokes about him. What I like about this is he just does a very good job of explaining exactly the subtext of the email. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's why you don't like mess with like a digital politics professor if you're going to mess with somebody, probably. <laughs> like he's very good at explaining what's going on. One of the 7,000 reasons why he shouldn't have sent that email. Right. The next thing that happens in the story is my favorite part of the story. So three days later, pretend you're just a normal New York Times reader. You open the op-ed section and you see that um, New York Times op-ed columnist Brett Stevens has written a huge piece just about the Holocaust. And there's this massive picture of Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels. And it's just paragraph after paragraph of just sort of a primer on the Holocaust, which the writing is nice or whatever, but you're reading it and you're like, why, why on this random August day are we talking about this? And 11 paragraphs in there's a reveal that only makes sense to you if you have followed all this drama, which is he has this, can I just read the part in question? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the political mindset that turned human beings into categories, classes, and races also turned them into rodents, insects, and garbage. Anti-Semitism is exactly the same as de-lousing, Himmler would claim in 43. Getting rid of lice is not a matter of ideology, it's a matter of cleanliness. Watching Warsaw's Jewish ghetto burn that year, a Polish anti-Semite was overheard saying, the bedbugs are on fire. The Germans are doing a great job. So he's comparing that professor's tweet to the Holocaust. He's saying that professor's tweet was anti-Semitic because everyone on earth knows that bedbugs are code for Jewish people. And that this is the rhetoric that dehumanizes people and allows for genocide. Is Brett Stevens Jewish? He is Jewish. Right. The person he's essentially accusing of anti-Semitism is also Jewish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, I don't know what Brett Stevens's heart believes. Like... In his original email to the guy, there's no sort of reference to him believing that this was anti-Semitic. Before sort of everybody on the internet started pointing out how much he'd overreacted and how strange this was for him to do, there's no reference to him seeing it as anti-Semitic. Once he started to kind of get, just like lose the public opinion battle, mm -hmm. this, he wrote this piece. And like, 
I mean, it's the internet. You can be offended about whatever you want. Like that, those are the rules. But like, just the final irony of this, like to step back, like remember, this is Brett Stevens. His whole brand is that there needs to be more free speech. Liberals are offended by everything. He wants to be that guy, but he also wants to get really mad about being called a bedbug. And you just can't do both of those things. You can't be like, you triggered liberals. And then act in a act in a way that is like completely, completely over the top. Yes. Yes. Because someone called you a bug. Right. So you guys want to talk about Area 51 or what? Yeah, so great. <laughs> right. There's a whole second part to this tweet. So so that's the Brett Stevens part. So Area 51, but for going to Brett Stevens' house and calling him a bed bug. So, yeah. So what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so are you familiar with Area 51? I am familiar with Area 51. What can you tell me about it? Area 51 um, is the... Um, place <laughs> you're off to a great start it is a place it's an area <laughs> <laughs> there's 50 other areas um and it's a and it's a place where i think people believe that aliens where conspiracy theorists believe that the u.s military is hiding the shit that they're hiding okay yeah yeah, yeah. right area 51 is north of las vegas and mm-hmm. it is a, an air force base where allegedly Aliens are being kept and experimented on by the U.S. government. Okay. And are they alive uh, or dead? A little from column A, a little from column B. Okay, gotcha. I don't know if you guys have ever <laughs> seen the alien autopsy. I've seen the alien autopsy. <laughs> Do you know about it? It's this video supposedly of. It's like a grainy video. <gasps> God, it scared the shit out of me. Um, I wrote a paper about it in science class in fifth grade. <laughs> You guys are laughing, but I got an A on it. <laughs> what was the was the paper about whether it was real or not? The paper was about if it was faked, how they would have faked it. Oh, it was like a creative wow. I didn't do very well in science generally. Uh. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, it's this video where it's like it's like grainy and like sort of undercoverly and, and undercover shot, and it's supposed to be them like doing the autopsy on the alien body. Uh huh. You really need a willing imagination to, yeah. Right. Okay. It's a classic. It's a pre-internet classic. All right. Got it. Okay. Uh, so Area 51, like there were rumors in the 50s and 60s and there mm-hmm. was like, there were UFO sightings in the desert. Yeah. But um, the person who really popularized Area 51 as a concept was this guy named Bob Lazar. Okay. In like the 80s. So I'm sure he's well known in the UFO community because he's been talking about this for decades and this fringy documentary came out last year that's all about how he supposedly uncovered spacecraft and technology at Area 51. Um, let me show you the trailer. This story is extraordinary, especially if it's true. And it all started in the desert, just north of Las Vegas. A local scientist who's worked at Groom Lake said to be where top secret weapon systems have been tested over the years. He has wow. asked that his identity this be shielded. Is so, exactly what's going on. so slick. So, so the story of Bob Lazar is he got hired at a facility near Area 51, this place called Groom Lake. This is this is his version of events. Okay. Um, and he says his job was he was like contracted by the government to reverse engineer like captured weaponry and aircraft. Oh, like the alien ship dropped a laser. You figure out how it works so we can build our own. Well, initially it was like 
Russian okay. aircraft. And then one day they were like, oh, we got this other ship you should take a look at. And they brought him into a room with a spacecraft that he calls, what does he call it? The Sport Model Extraterrestrial. So their names like cars. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and so what ended his illustrious career, reverse engineering alien space cars? Well, he, you know, he decided to become a whistleblower. And he stars in this documentary and everyone hates it. It is an absolutely uncritical look at him. It requires no authentication of any of the information that he says. It's just like him telling his story and it's all treated as fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the documentary comes out. It is largely ignored. One person who does not ignore it happens to be one of the most popular podcasters in the world, Joe Rogan. People love Joe Rogan. Yeah, people do love Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, And Joe Rogan is like really into flying saucer stuff. And I think Joe Rogan actually can sometimes be a pretty tough interviewer, Uh but like he really softballs this. He like loves UFOs so much much that he is very, very deferential to our man Bob Lazar. And the result is that... Tons of people who never would have seen the documentary about him go and watch his documentary and are, like, talking about Area 51 again. The other thing that happened is that one of the singers of Blink-182 quit the band, started a nonprofit (laughs) dedicating to proving that aliens are real, Mm -hmm. got a hold of what he said were, like, undercover Navy videos of unidentified flying objects, which turned out to be real, and the Navy confirmed it. And were actually kind of gripping. Yes. pretty cool. Um, But basically, like... UFOs were in the public consciousness this summer because of all this stuff. And so, like, that is what is the sort of setup for the tweet that you need to know about. Right. And what happened next is there's this kid. His name is Maddie Roberts. And he heard that Joe Rogan, Bob Lazar interview. And just, like, he's up. He's in the middle of the night. He's bored. He's in college. He's like, all right, I'm going to make a joke Facebook page largely for myself, for my friends, whatever. That is called Storm Area 51. They can't stop all of us. Mm-hmm. And like It's like absurdist flash mobs or something like that. Yeah, but, but, they, you but, don't they, but then you don't go. So he makes a joke Facebook page called Storm Area 51. They can't stop all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, we will all meet up in rural Nevada and coordinate our parties. If we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets. What's a Naruto run? Let's see them aliens. Um. A Naruto, you don't know what a Naruto run is. Don't, don't know. I, 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 I mean, I expected you not to, Alex. So Naruto is an anime about ninja training. And just like the show has like such a complicated mythos that I can't even begin to explain. Is it good? It's not for me, but I, I think a lot of people like it. So I'm not going to say it's bad. You're, you're afraid of big anime? <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified of it. But in Naruto, the most talented of the nin- ninja... So, yes. so they do this particular run where they sort of cock their bodies forward and they put their arms out behind them. I'm going to, tr- there's no room in here to do this. I'll go for it. <laughs> but they kind of go, Alex they kind of run like this. Alex run in the studio apparently. <laughs> I'm not quite getting it. Yeah, you do guys, it, I think you have to actually move. <laughs> but like they let the gravity of their, they let the gravity of their bodies. You're leaning them. like the woman on the front of the Rolls Royce. Kind of. They put their arms out. But then, how do they actually run? Do the running part? I'll yeah, go ahead in the studio. Some, well, uh, hold on. Uh, well, you got to move, so I have like some <laughs> runway to do. This. Alex Holman has gotten up, is standing, and is revving himself up to do a Naruto run in the studio. <laughs> this is gonna. You take your headphones off. <laughs> I'm going to. All right, ready? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Ha! 
run right into the wall. Generate a lot of speed right there in the like in the five foot length of our studio. Well, the important thing about the Naruto run is that mm-hmm. you can dodge uh, projectiles. Right. What is it about Obviously. leaning forward and putting your hands on your back <laughs> that, that makes you, you faster? It's anime logic. Okay. I don't know. It's just right. But yes. the idea is if they if you Naruto run, mm-hmm. you can dodge the bullet. So Got everyone's going to Naruto run into Area Fifty One. Like here is a here's one from yesterday. It says. Area 51's going to get raided. Hell yeah, boy. Naruto runners, where are you at? And it's a uh, gif of pe- a bunch of people Naruto running on a beach. Are those people really Naruto running? Yeah. Is that a thing people just do in real life? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like as a, not like if they're trying to win a race, but like it's a thing, it's definitely like a thing that people do as a joke or a reference. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's just so much world out there. I it know. just makes me happy. Like somewhere on a beach, a bunch of people did an anime run. Here's yeah. another one that says, tomorrow's the day, Godspeed, you majestic warriors. And it's like mm-hmm. a computer rendered image <laughs> of a giant alien that's shackled. And there's like all these people Naruto running in front of it. <laughs> and somehow the color scheme of it just looks like Independence Day. Also, right. at one point, uh, <laughs> Lil Nas X did a remix of Old Town Road. Oh, with- yeah. Don't you worry. I've got that all taken care of for you. What? You know Lil Nas X, right? Yeah. yeah you know yeah. Old Town Road. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a great song. Yeah. Um, so he drops this video. Uh-huh. And the video is a depiction of the raid on Area 51. He's made like a fantasy of how the Naruto run on Area 51 would perfectly liberate the aliens. It's like an advertisement for doing this stupid thing. Right. And he's Lil Nas X, who is like the person best at manipulating the internet right now mm-hmm. and so him doing this also just takes them even like mainlines it even further right and it's him and young thug mason ramsey billy ray cyrus and keanu reeves wearing naruto's outfit uh, here i'll put it on for you <laughs> just give him a second to collect himself So, so this video it opens uh, with like a like a panning shot of the front gate of Area 51, um, and it's flying an American flag with an alien instead of stars. And there's like a sleeping guard, and it pans to his cell phone, and it's a text from Lil Nas X that says, uh, "We coming for you, bruh." <laughs> so the military rolls in; they get all primed for some kind of attack. Uh-huh. They're all sweating bullets. And uh, Lil Nas X, Young Thug, Mason Ramsey, and Billy Ray Cyrus show up on horses. Um, and behind them are is like a herd of people Naruto running, including Keanu Reeves. Just because. Um, and then just skipping ahead a little bit. So then they finally get into Area 51, and there are a bunch of aliens giving them, like, souped-up cars, uh, hovering motorcycles. Alien <laughs> chains. A, a metallic horse. And they ride away into the sunset. So, uh, by the time that the Little Nas X video was released, this, like, Facebook page that Maddie Roberts made as a joke for himself has millions of people on it saying, yes, we're going to go to Area 51 and we're going to storm it and find the alien technology. In fact, so in addition to people finding it very funny, like authorities are kind of worried Mm -hmm. (laughs) that something's actually going to happen. And the fellow who organized it, he kind of freaked out a little bit because he was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like I started a party in the whole neighborhood. Right. I started a thing that 
could actually cause people harm. So right. he decided he was going to do like a, a music festival that would try and move the crowd away from Area 51 toward this like music festival, which he, mm-hmm. which he was calling Alien Stock. How mm-hmm. old is he? He's in college. He's like 21. Yeah, such a 21-year-old idea. Yeah. Also, the idea that you've gotten people excited about aliens and you're going to get him to go see Tempt a music festival. Music festival. <laughs> so Storm Area 51, They Can't Stop Us All, was scheduled for Friday, September 20th. Today is Friday, September 20th. That's right. Whoa. So did it happen? Uh, well, as you might imagine, millions of people did not show up yeah. to Area 51. And last night at about, th- at about three in the morning, uh, couple, a giant UFO lifted up. A couple dozen people <laughs> showed up at the front of Area 51 and politely <laughs> asked to get in. It's not exactly <laughs> the same as Naruto running. <laughs> wow. I think we have enough to explain Area 51, but for going to Brett Stevens' house and calling him a bed bug. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. I think we now know. Which is? Which is, Casey Johnson wrote this tweet, Area 51, but for going to Brett Stevens' house and calling him a bed bug. Which I now find very funny. As is often the case, two separate memes combined. There's mm-hmm. a bed bug one and an Area 51 one. We're going to take the bed bug one first. A professor called New York Times columnist Brett Stevens... Brett Stevens then made a big deal out of this, said this was akin to an anti-Semitic slur from the Holocaust, and actually wrote the professor an email in which he cc'd the professor's boss, the provost, and told him in the email, this is the worst thing I've ever seen on the internet, and why don't you come to my house and call me a bedbug to my face? Yes. That's the bedbug part. Right. (laughs) The Area 51 part, in the last year, Area 51 has become this really big thing on the internet. Because there was a documentary that came out about a UFO conspiracy theorist and a kid, this young man, made a joke online uh, saying like, ha, 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 wouldn't it be funny if we all went to Area 51 and did something called a Naruto run Mm -hmm. into Area 51 and rescued the aliens. And it was sort of a joke. But then as sometimes things happen with jokes, actually people showed up at Area 51 demanding to see the aliens. Okay, so that's the Area 51 part. And so the joke of this tweet is the writer is imagining that... uh, a group of people are taking the Area 51 treatment and applying it to the Brett Stevens invitation to come to his house and call him a bed bug. I think we're at yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we're very much at yes, yes, yes. That is amazing. That was one where it was like, actually, once I got the full story and I read it again, it was 100 to 150 times more enjoyable. It's like you needed the 3D glasses for the joke. I needed the 3D glasses, and, was, and once I had them, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> nicely done, Casey Johnston. You deserve your check. Just 40 minutes. <laughs> 40 minutes of explanation, and it's a good joke. Yeah. Coming up after the break, Mogul.
Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Okay, both Alex's are gone. I'm now in the studio with Shruti. Hello, Shruti. Hello. You, for like a month, you've just been nonstop talking about how much you like the new season of Mogul. Yeah, I. <laughs> Everybody on the show knows this about me. Uh, I'm always trying to sneak like dance music into Reply All episodes. Um, if you ever hear like crazy techno that um just before the break no that was me yes and the thing about mogul uh it's it's this gimlet show it's set in the world of hip-hop they managed to do this thing with their podcast which is this like merging of music and story in a way that i just really love to listen to while walking around um and i just wanted to i was hoping we could play the first half of the second episode for people. And do we need to do anything to set it up? Um, all you need to know is that the entire season, um, season two of Mogul, is about Two Live Crew, which is this Miami-based group that essentially set the stage for hip-hop in the South. Okay. You should also know that it's a band that, for better or for worse, introduced really raunchy sex rhymes into hip-hop. And that's part of what this whole season's about, but for this clip, it means Definitely don't listen with kids. Cool. Okay. Let's go. Miami bass is, is hip-hop from the South, from the land of Dade County. And it's, it's known for extremely like upbeat dance rhythm and bass. If you had to make a sort of, not generic, but if you had to make a common bass beat with your mouth, what would the beat sound like? Like boom, 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 boom. Oh, I do it. It's like based on the, the Goombe beat from the Bahamas. It's like... It's like that, yeah. The polyrhythm is a polyrhythm. The Caribbean polyrhythm mixed with American funk and soul. That's what you would hear in the garbage cans or in the in school lunchroom. It's a, it's a festival beat. And yeah, yeah, sounds like a party, exactly. The sound of Miami is the sound of a city surrounded by islands. Mm-hmm. 
they're basically a melting pot of Haitians, Jamaicans, Bahamians, Cubans, Puerto Ricans. And, and that's what it is, because we that's what we are. So when we went to school, Bahamians and Haitians at the time, when Duvalier was trying to take over Haiti and mistreating the Zoes, they, they worked their way to Miami as well. And the Jamaicans had their section, and it was like, we all went to school together. Over the years, people have come from all these places to live in Miami. When they came, they brought their beats with them. And those beats, they became the backbone of Miami bass. The way I would describe Miami bass is congas, tom-toms, combination of reggae bass and calypso, with the tempo going about 120 to 130 beats a minute. Uh, 808, 909, bass kicks. Cowbell, the infamous cowbell. That's it, some hi-hats. A nice snapping snare. You know, I got a snap, a pop. And there's one final ingredient. The thing that really sets this music apart from everything else. Deep, booming bass. Yeah, bass, bro. I love that shit. That's good. That's good. Because it's not really Miami bass, unless it knocks hard. The beats getting inside of your brain or past your brain, inside of your soul or whatever, is in there and just makes you fucking want to funk out, have fun. A lot of people consider Two Live Crews Throw the D to be the first true bass record. What Rapper's Delight was to hip-hop, Throw the D was to Miami bass. When the group dropped that single in 86, they captured the sound of Miami and put it on wax. But outside of the 305, hardly anyone had heard of the bass scene or the Two Live Crew. That was all about to change. Because the Two Live Crew were going to take this new sound and add something of their own. Lyrics so outrageous and so dirty that they permanently changed the hip-hop landscape. And Luke Campbell, the king of the Pac Jam, he was going to take this explosive new sound and he was going to sell it to the world. I'm Brandon Jenkins. And on this episode of Mogul, hip-hop gets nasty. Throw the D started to pop off, the two live crew were a duo. There was Mr. Mix on the decks, crafting the beats and producing the records. And there was Fresh Cut Ice on the mic, spitting rhymes. But Mr. Mix figured that the band could be even better if they added an additional MC. And he knew just the right person. Marquis from the two live crew, Dade County's old school early edition triple OG of the rap game official. That's a cool intro. You all follow me on Instagram, Brother Marquise, two live crew, all one word, Mark Demetrius on Facebook. Brother Marquise had met Mr. Mix out in Cali a few years earlier. They hit it off. And Mix told Marquise that if he ever needed another rapper, he'd hit him up. 
was kind of marketable, looked not bad to look at, I think, and I could rhyme. With Marquise on board, the two live crew's lineup was complete. So they all packed up their shit and moved across the country to the place where their music was as hot as the weather, Miami. Luke Campbell had made the crew a hit at the Pack Jam, and now he had offered to manage the group. He told them that once they got to Miami, he'd help get them a record deal. He also told them he set them up with a place to live. I'm going to tell you how crazy it was. We were living at his girlfriend's house that he was shacking up with, mom's house. <laughs> Whoa. The mom, the daughter, Luke's living with her. He done convinced them to allow me, Marquise, and Chris to live there at the house until he could get an apartment for us. We was there for a month. One of the most surprising things about this story is that none of the architects of the Miami Bay Sound were actually from Miami. They were all outsiders. But as soon as they got there, they were ready to dive in. They wanted to make music that sounded and felt like their new home. Hot town, summertime, you know, the whole atmosphere just say, that says uh, partying and sex, you know what I mean? Dancing, shaking your ass and sex. Shortly after moving to Miami, the group started to work on a song called Move Something. It would take all the things they were seeing and hearing and doing in Miami and stir them into a thumping bass track. First came the drum loop. Mr. Mix found that at a high school football game. See, Miami's renowned for its high school marching bands. They're big, they're loud, and they're exciting to watch. That inspired Mr. Mix. One of the high schools down there had a breakdown in their um, drumline routine, and they would say, move something, and they would go into some kind of drum solo thing, move something. Mix took that chant, and it became the foundation for the song Move Something. But they needed something else to really make it pop. Since the early days, when he was spinning in Air Force barracks, Mr. Mix had been playing around with the idea of using samples from X-rated comedy records. Shit like this. You know, they got a new douche powder out now. This is made out of alum, LSD, <laughs> and Kentucky Colonel Sanders chicken fat. <laughs> it makes your pussy up tight and out of sight and finger licking good. These albums from comedians like LaWanda Page and Richard Pryor were incredibly raunchy. And Mix figured that sort of stuff would play well with the Miami crowd. Seeing how sexualized the, the market was, I knew that I could put those parts and pieces in and it would be funny and be raw and all of that stuff based on how those people was acting in Miami. Just say, wow, these motherfuckers is crazy down there. Florida made me kind of see that those records was real life. One night, Mix was listening to a skit by LaWanda Page and Skillet Leroy. And that's where he found the perfect sample for Move Something. You know, there's a sample, drop your drawers and open your legs up wide. 
episode. Um, that's going through the record, going through the record. So Mix had the beat, he had the hook. Now the song needed lyrics. That was where Marquise and Ice came in. As soon as they heard the song, they knew their rhymes had to be dirty. And they swung for the fences. I've been wanting to tell you this for a while. I would like your fake blue eyes and your whole style. So let's go for a walk through the park. You can suck my dick in the dark and just do what I ask. Bitch, bend over. Let me ride your backside like dogs do each other. I know that you're with it, so don't start fighting. I don't want to be your man. I want to move something. The way Move Something was made, that was pretty much the two Love Crews formula. They'd find a sample or something that inspired them. Mix would craft the beats, and then Ice and Marquise would lay down their vocals and mine the English language for words that rhyme with dick. And it was these dirty rhymes that made the two live crews stand out. These days, we take it for granted that sex plays a big part in hip-hop. We all know Kaya's my neck, my back. We've all seen Nelly swiping a credit card down a dancer's ass crack in the tip drill video. But back in the late 80s, when two live crew were starting out, this stuff felt really new. Mix, Marquise, and Ice were the flag bearers. Or flying the freak flag. We're the only rappers out here talking, talking really, really crazy when it comes to sex. Yeah, nobody else is doing it. What they did was they went fully uncensored. This is Jacob Cattell. Jacob's a journalist. You heard him at the start of the episode explaining Miami bass. They started talking about fucking, and they did so with no remorse. Like, they put it out there all the way, because that's normal. That's what real people do in real life. The Two Live crew had their product, booming bass and endless rhymes about screwing. But now they needed to get their music out there. And that's where Luke Campbell comes in. Luke liked what he was hearing and thought it would appeal to a much bigger audience than just the kids at the Pack Jam. He was ready to shoot this shit into the stratosphere. After the break, Luke Campbell proves the oldest saying in the world, sex sells. All right, that is our preview of Mogul. If you want to hear the rest of the story, you can listen to the season week by week on whatever podcast player you use. Or if you go to Spotify, the whole season is available right now. The Pile is hosted by me, PJ Vote, and Alex Goldman. We're produced by Shruti Pinamanini, Fia Benin, Damiano Marchetti, Anna Foley, Jessica Young, and Emmanuel Jochi. Our executive producer is Tim Howard. We're mixed by Rick Kwan, fact-checking by Michelle Harris. Our intern is Emily Rostick. Special thanks this week to Allegra Frank. Also, we have a new logo. You might have noticed it. Let us know if you like it. And if you don't, just send us an email. It's iraglass at thisamericanlife.com. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and our ad music is by Build Buildings. Matt Lieber is 20 bucks in your hoodie pocket. Listen to our show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks.